Good morning, everyone. We are in Matthew chapter 9, and Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee back to what has become somewhat of a home base of Capernaum. So that's where Jesus heads back, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, if you read Luke's account, he gives a little bit more detail in this story where uh, they actually, because of the crowd around the house, brought him in through the roof. So they actually like moved, removed part of the roof and lowered this paralytic right into the house where Jesus was. And Jesus happened to be sitting around some Pharisees when he was doing some teaching, and then they drop this paralytic. Uh, I, I've preached on this before, and uh, pretty great faith to think about the men who went and got this paralytic who couldn't get off his bed and said, you know what, we want to carry this man to Jesus because, you know, we think that he could be healed by taking him there. And anyways, when Jesus is sitting before the crowd in the house, the paralytics lord before him, he says something very interesting. Take courage, son your sins are forgiven. Now that's a really bold statement because right before the Pharisees, he's proclaiming that he can forgive this person's sins. Now, knowing that Jesus knows the gospel that's going to come into full fruition, uh, he knows this man's faith. And perhaps, you know, looking back at the story, perhaps the paralytic said, hey, listen, I heard about Jesus. He can heal. And he had the faith to believe in Jesus, and he got his friends to take him to see Jesus because uh, I don't think Jesus would forgive sins without faith, right? Because that's what it takes to believe in him in order for sins to be forgiven. So Jesus, though, knowing his faith, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, to anyone not knowing yet the fullness of the gospel, they would say, well, how can you do that? I mean, they don't believe Jesus is God. Uh, they don't believe he has the power to forgive sins yet. So Jesus proclaiming that's a very bold statement. And and some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow, meaning Jesus, blasphemes. He tells lies. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing that that statement that he forgave someone their sins would startle them. And he says, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Now, this man so far has not been healed. And Jesus is saying, you know, what's easier? I said his sins are forgiven, but what would you think if this cripple got up and walked? And uh, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has a authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, look at the, the purpose of this story. Jesus is trying to prove he has the ability to forgive sins, and he's going to do a miracle to prove that he has that kind of power. And think about you know all the miracles, including this one that Jesus is about to do. And then we have the miracle of Jesus coming back from the dead. All these miracles recorded. You know, Jesus was such an amazing, remarkable man, God-man who looked like us, but yet had the power of God in him. 
And praise God that we have the evidence of all of these miracles. Eyewitness testimony of people who were martyred proclaiming the miracles and the resurrection of Jesus. So, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. <laughs> and he he got up and went home. He literally just got up in the crowd. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. They still didn't know, you know, the fullness of who Jesus was. So they're thinking, well, God gave him the power, which, you know, God did give him the power, but he, he is God. So uh, what an incredible miracle. Now, this is recorded by Matthew. And it's interesting that, you know, Luke's account had a little bit more detail. Now, Luke wouldn't have been there. You know, the two apostles that were eyewitnesses of most of Jesus's life would be John, who was there right from the beginning when Jesus got baptized. And what we're about to find out is Matthew came along later. So Matthew is filling us in by report here because he's going to introduce himself onto the scene in the next passage. So he now heard about this story through the apostles and and relate it um, because he says he comes on the scene now. But John was there. Uh, Luke, you might recall, was an accomplice of the apostle Paul and came along later. He wasn't one of the original uh, 12 uh, apostles, and either was Mark, although you know Mark and Luke were both alive during the time of Jesus but weren't his disciples yet. Uh, like Matthew and John were. A lot of people don't know that. But as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Uh, he's introduced as Levi in other accounts, uh, sitting at sitting in the tax collector's booth. So he's a tax collector. Now, recall that tax collectors, because they were serving the Roman Empire, were not liked by many and were not liked by Jews either. And so Jesus going to this tax collector and saying to him, follow me, was really an honor. This miracle worker and this Jew, Jesus, is asking me to follow him, even though I'm hated by everybody. Uh, so he said, follow me, and he got up and followed, and, and Matthew began to follow him. And now think of, uh, you know, when you're an outcast like a tax collector, who do you tend to hang out with? Outcasts, right? Because you're not accepted by the in crowd, so to speak. So Ma Matthew was an outcast and he hung out with outcasts. And it's interesting that in Matthew's account here, it, listen to what it says in verse 10. Then it happened that Jesus was reclining at table in the house. Now, I don't believe it shares in Matthew's account that this was Matthew's house and essentially Matthew's friends, the people Matthew hung out with. If you read Mark's account, it's very clear that that this was a, a party, so to speak, that Matthew threw with Matthew's, you know, relationships. Maybe Matthew didn't didn't want to uh, identify directly that you know these were his misfit friends. Uh, don't know that for sure, but it's kind of interesting. So in Matthew's account, it says then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. And we're dining with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus is hanging out with his disciples with all these people. They had to be kind of like, 
like learning, you know, of Jesus's nature that he hung out with anybody. Uh, you know, he was with sick people a lot, crippled people a lot, tax collectors, sinners. And when the Pharisees saw this, of course, they looked down on all these people. They said to his disciples, what is your teacher? Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? And, and you know, the Pharisees were kind of known to be snobbish, legalistic, self-righteous, always focused on the outside of the cup, not wanting to associate with Gentiles or sinners. Um, but when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. And he's going to quote some Old Testament passages that that began to reflect that this would be the way it would be, that we wouldn't always be so focused on the, the sacrificial law, and but rather on compassion for others, because already in the Old Testament, people were becoming too legalistic in thinking that, you know, I'm going to honor God through law only, but not from the heart. And, and Jesus says here, as he quotes um, from Hosea, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now we know, and if you don't know, it's really important to know, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem is, is that the Pharisees kind of thought they were self-righteous. When they weren't, they needed Jesus just like anybody else. But a lot of times when people feel like they're good on their own, they're going to heaven on their own, they're self-righteous on their own, they don't see the need to come to Jesus. What we really need to know is that we all have a need. We all won't make it to heaven without the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Pharisees didn't understand this. And, and sometimes Jesus was willing to allow people who were going to be in ignorance be in ignorance. And he liked to turn to the people that began to recognize they had their need. And, you know, that's something that's kind of sad to me as, as I seek to witness to the lost. And some of those are my friends in this world. And they just don't see their need. And it's sad. You know, listen, I... I'm a sinner too, but I've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ because I placed my faith in him and now I sin a lot less because I ask for the Lord's help. But you cannot get to heaven on your own goodness. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's only one way uh, to heaven. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, uh, Jesus said, as recorded in John 14. You, you, you have to come through the blood of Jesus. There's no other way because you're a sinner and that sin separates you from God. And there's only one way to be forgiven because we can't bring our lamb to the temple any longer. It wouldn't work anyways. God sacrificed his son as the once and for all final lamb of God. That is the way to forgiveness and that is the way to eternal life. And we need to know it. So we stop relying on our own goodness because you're not that good. There's no one good, not even one, the Bible says. And, and we have to understand that because then we come to Jesus with our need and say, you know what, I need a solution to the sin that prevents me from heaven. And that solution is, is Jesus. But Jesus is saying here, you know, when you're filled with pride and you think you can get to heaven on your own, I'm not coming to you. I'm coming to people that will realize they have a need. 
For I did not come to call the righteous. The self-righteous is really what he means, but sinners. Moving on. Uh, then the disciples of John came to him. This is John the Baptist. John was in prison. Some of John's disciples came to ask what was going on with Jesus. And he says, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Uh, you know, not eat, maybe not drink for a period of time in order to devote yourself to God. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom, the people who are part of the bridegroom's wedding, cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? He's saying, hey, right now I'm with these people. It's not the time to fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom, Jesus, will be taken away from them like he is now. And then they will fast. So we live in a day and age where it's good to fast to connect with God. But then he says, but no one puts a patch on unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. And he shares another parable, so to speak, to illustrate this too. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the new wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Both parables essentially say the same thing. If you put on an old garment new cloth, it might break off. So it's better, especially with clothing of that day, that you'd put old cloth on old garment because it, it it's already stretched out. Or if you put new wine into... Uh, into old wineskins, they may burst, but a new wineskin had more flexibility. So you put new wine into a new wineskin so that when the wine creates pressure as it's fermenting, the new wineskin has the ability to expand uh, with the new wine. And what he's basically saying in both cases is the, the gospel that I'm bringing is not going to fit very well into the Pharisee Jewish mind unless they open their hearts to come to Jesus. So my message is now going to get placed in new people because they're going to be able to embrace my new message because these people that aren't willing to embrace my new message, it just won't fit for them. Now, if you if you aren't self-righteous, if you're humble and you come to learn this new Christian message that Jesus is giving, you can receive it. But if you're going to be stuck in your old ways, it's not going to fit for you. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. So, you know, indeed, now in the church age, uh, the, the, the family of God has become anyone who believes in Jesus, including Gentiles, non-Jews like us, whereas before God had a special family in the Jews, but now his message is available to all, and he's put it in new wineskins, us, people who weren't formerly part of his family, Israel. All right, moving on. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him. Now, this would have been a Jew, and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage. So while Jesus is heading to this house, where the sick, or the girl that just died is, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well. Isn't that a great story? Obviously, she had faith. She was desperate. She wanted to be healed, and she came to Jesus. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, your take courage. Your faith has made you well. 
and at once the woman was made well. And we are supposed to come to Jesus with our prayers and realize by faith that they can be answered. You know, I have a I have a son who's not following the Lord right now the way that I would desire, the way that the Lord would desire, and I just have faith and believe one day he will. And I hope he even becomes a preacher one day, becomes a pastor and serves God, you know, in abundant ways. And I'm just trusting in God and believing in God that he's going to do that. And, 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 and we're supposed to have that kind of faith. Now, do every one of our prayers that we have, that we have faith for, happen? Well, I'd have to say no. And I'm not blaming the person who doesn't have faith like it's their fault, like they just don't have the faith to believe. But nonetheless, while we still have air, we should go to God in prayer for our requests and believe that God can heal us and have that faith that he can answer our prayer. Uh, it's important to him, and he, he does seem to work through faith in answering prayer. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw, so now he's to the house where the girl died, and saw the flute players, they're, they're playing songs of uh, of uh, mourning, you know, because she was dead. And the crowd, in a noisy disorder, they're sad about this little girl who who is dead. And he said, leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And what he meant was she she was dead physically, but he was going to raise her again. And they weren't. he wasn't saying he's not doing a miracle, that she was just sleeping. Sleep is a euphemism in that day for dead, but he's going to bring her back again. And they begin laughing at him. Uh, but when he, the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Another amazing miracle. This news spread throughout all the land. Of course it would. It, think about the fame that Jesus was having. You know, he, In this chapter, a cripple who could not walk got up and walked, and a girl who was dead came to life and a woman who had hemorrhaging for 12 years had been healed and i mean this is a miracle worker he's worthy of our devotion and followership as jesus went on from there now he's going to heal two two blind men followed him crying out have mercy on a son of david crying out i love that coming to jesus in boldness and in faith when he entered the house the blind men came up to him and jesus said to them do you believe that i am able to do this See how the faith matters? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. So start believing in God for big things. And then wait on the Lord. But believe in him. Come to him in faith. Believe in he can do incredible things. And Jesus, Jesus sternly warned, and their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. He's trying to hold back his fame to a certain extent because he doesn't want to go to the cross before God's time. He's going to go on Passover three years into his ministry and not yet. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the land. You know, People couldn't hold back their enthusiasm. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man, isn't it our Jesus amazing? Look, at, he's going to do another miracle, was brought out to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Hallelujah. And, and he, he's one of a kind. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. They're trying to make him look like he's demonic and 
you know, they're just messed up. They're not willing to come to Jesus humbly. Jesus is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom that begins now through faith, but one day Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign, and that's going to be the fullness of his kingdom. And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He was a miracle worker. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. You think about this, you know, when Jesus was doing his ministry, he was in one place at one time. And as he's going about, he's seeing all these needs everywhere and how people need to know him and they need to know the gospel and they need to be healed. And there's just such great need. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And that's us. And briefly, I want to share with you that Jesus developed a kingdom of priests. You know, we don't have priests in the New Testament church. You, you won't find priests in the New Testament church. You won't find Jesus making a Catholic priest. No, 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 no. What Jesus did is he made us a kingdom of priests, and we will learn more about that as we go through the Bible together. That means when you become born again and part of the family of God, you're his priest. And not to offer uh, communion, not to offer uh, 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 some kind of sacrifice up on the altar of God. No, what you are is you are a minister on Christ's behalf. You are here to serve God's purposes and to help the sheep of this world come to know him. Once you become part of God's fold, now your job is to help other sheep come to know him. And you're, you're his minister. We, we all are. God, God, God's method of ministry was raising up tax collectors, sinners, fishermen, Gentiles, people like us to serve his kingdom. It's a bottom-up movement because we follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not a hierarchy of priests. It is a kingdom of priests where all of us who have come to know him uh, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. We need more workers. We need more people to know that they are Jesus's ministers to this world that desperately needs his message. And that's what gives our lives great purpose. What a great chapter. God bless you all.